Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. Well, hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us today on World Footprints Radio, where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. We're your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we're broadcasting from our studio right outside our nation's capital. On today's show, we focus on global citizenship and transformative travel that's making a difference. First, fans of the CBS primetime reality show Survivor may remember from the 2006 Cook Island season contestant Becky Lee. She took her prize money to create Becky's Fund to tackle domestic violence. Becky will talk about her social mission with the fund and share some tips for making it on Survivor. And finally, on the eve of the 2010 World Cup in South Africa, we share how the game of soccer is promoting global citizenship and transforming lives. We'll introduce you to Lawrence Kahn, the founder and CEO of Street Soccer USA, and how he's made soccer a force for social change. Remember, if you have a question or a comment, write us at comments at worldfootprints.com. And we look forward to connecting with you during the week on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and all of our other social networks. So sign up for those things and our newsletter from our website at worldfootprints.com. Fans of the CBS primetime reality show Survivor may remember our next guest from the 2006 Survivor Cook Island season. In 2006, Becky Lee was chosen to compete against 19 other individuals to see who could outwit, outplay, and outlast to become the sole survivor and win the $1 million prize. Only those who make it to the final tribal council are real survivors, and Becky came close to winning the big prize. Although she didn't win the million dollars, she did take home a monetary prize as a runner-up. But what's extraordinary about her story is that she used her prize money to found a nonprofit organization called Becky's Fund, which was created to help others survive the issue of domestic violence. Becky, welcome to World Footprints. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. Now, the season that you were on, Survivor Cook Islands, did something very interesting. They purposefully cast contestants based on their race. Talk about your casting experience and whether you think really the producers sought to offer uh, cultural immersion experiences or whether this was meant to be a social experiment or both. I think it was um, both. I believe that, um, you know, knowing that the show was going on for so long, the producers are always trying to be very creative in how to divide up sort of the, quote, tribes and how to make people compete against each other. And um, it was very interesting because we were not told through the interview process how they were dividing us up. It was basically the night before filming was to start when we noticed um, the very diverse group of contestants that they had chosen to compete on this show. And um, I think that obviously brought a lot of controversy in terms of, you know, really thinking about how you know, how politically correct we are when we think about ethnicities and, you know, who is like the superior sort of race. Um, But I think that a lot of it had to do with marketing. It brought a lot of new watchers to the show. I mean, even, you know, they had us in People Magazine sort of saying, you know, which person, which type of person would, would, would most likely do better in the, in the competition. But at the same time, I think that, um, 
you know, it was great to bring sort of this new sort of stir controversy to bring more people back to the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the same time, we were only divided into, quote, races for the first two days of the competition. So then, you know, throughout the sort of season, I think they would ask questions, try to see if we um, were aligning with people that were from our original, quote, race and tribe, or we were aligning with people based on our personalities, goals, maybe even strategy in the game. So it was very interesting to see them ask questions particular to um, certain stereotypes. But then um, everyone on the show was specifically selected due to the fact that, you know, people, they, I mean, they, they really screened us to make sure that there weren't going to be, in, you know, issues or any conflicts on the show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, in some ways, you know, I mean, I, I understand um, where the producers, you know, what their motivation was. But in some ways, to me, it, you know, it, was, it could have been very risky. I mean, it could, they could have run the risk of fueling. Uh, cultural stereotypes, which would not have been helpful, and I mean, which would have been very harmful, I think, from a societal standpoint. Yeah, from the very beginning, um, my um, there was another tribe member, Yule, who actually won the million, and we both were very shocked and we were very saddened to see that they had divided us by races. But at the same time, we thought this would be a great way because part of the reasons why we we both actually tried out for the show um, was to elevate the um, sort of the light. Um, portrayed on Asian Americans in television, in media. So to hear that they were actually dividing us up, we were pretty shocked at the same time throughout the show. We were very careful to, you know, present ourselves in a certain way. A lot of times the producers do ask certain questions. Um, For example, um, the one day when we had, you know, arrived to our island, um, we actually... um, the Asian members, we all line up our shoes at the very front where we actually, you know, go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting that um, having questions sort of um, brought up, oh, you know, is that the way that you're brought up? Is that a cultural thing? And, you know, we very quickly tried to push those answers away by saying, no, we're just all very neat. We have similar personalities, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, a lot of times they would ask questions such as, do you think you're close to that person because you're both Asian? And, you know, at the end of the day, we would just say things like, no, I found water with that person. I found food. We were starving for two days. And uh, sort of the innate, sort of this basic necessities that humans need, the reason why we, you know, got along so well or later on maybe we, you know, realigned together uh, farther down in the game was due to the fact that we experienced certain things together, but not, not just because of our culture. Right, mm. right. Now, Becky, Survivor always picks some pretty exciting and exotic locations for uh, filming. Did you have a time, apart from the show, to really enjoy the Cook Islands and get an appreciation of its uh, natural beauty, the people, and the geography at all? We did. Um, in, you know, between each of the challenges, we do have some downtime, which is almost at the point where you're a little bit bored. Um, because, you know, we don't know when they're going to um, take us to, like, the next sort of game that we're, you know, supposed to play. So um, in that time, obviously, you're doing a lot of um, gaming, strategizing, because um, you're never trying to be by yourself. But the Cook Islands were very, I mean, the land is very pure. Um, Tourism had not hit it um, before we had gotten there. Um, People had made jokes, you know, watching the show, watching the season, saying it looks like they're feeding, I mean, they're giving them food. But because the land was so, you know, I mean, pure, tourism had not touched it, pollution had not touched it. There was so much coconut. Um, The land was uh, beautiful. The water was so, you know, beautiful also. And um, also for myself, being that, you know, I'm a type A personality and I've always been go, go, go. It was a great sort of experience because it forced me to, you know, enjoy a sunset, um, really, you know, enjoy the weather, 
um, it was you know, sort of like a forced vacation when you're trying to sort of um, take in the elements but at the same time appreciate this sort of time out from, you know, the busy, busy um, rigmarole of, of our daily lives. Well, you know, that that's very interesting to hear, and that kind of leads me to my next question, because we always talk about travel being transformative, and, and certainly I can imagine that participating on uh, a show like Survivor is, uh, is very transformative. And, uh, you know, so what did you learn about yourself, and what did you learn about others, particularly during your season that was initially divided into, you know, cultural groups? Sure. Um, I think that, you know, the way that I was raised, the way that I sort of lived my life, um, you know, often you don't look at the big picture and you often look at just your linear, so what is the goal of today, you know, and I think that by, you know, doing that show, meeting so many different people from different backgrounds, um, different personalities, um, coming from different places, you really learn to appreciate everyone. I mean, face value, you learn to, you know, really enjoy the moment and also take the time to, you know, smell the roses. Um, I did, you know, being there, I didn't know what day that I'd be, you know, quote, voted off or what day I was leaving, so I really tried to enjoy each moment, um, even though it is, you know, it is a game. Um, there's a lot of backstabbing and strategy play. You don't really always know who's on your side, who isn't. Um, I really try to learn a lot about each person that was on the show with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, to this day, I'm friends with, you know, at least five of the people from the show. We keep in contact, celebrate birthdays, children's birthdays, um, talk to each other, see where we've come, you know, where, what we're doing. And so it's interesting, um, that sort of um, experience, because no one else outside the show can relate. No one else can understand um, your, you know, paranoia, the feelings of joy and sadness, but also at the same time being, feeling victory at the smallest things that make you happy. And I think that being away from your, you know, regular setting and in totally different sort of um, surroundings and with different people, you really do are, are able to take in everything, you know, at face value. Your time on the Cook Islands uh, transformed your life, and I'm curious as to how much traveling you had done in your life prior to your appearance on the show and what impact that's had on you in um, terms of some of the travels that you've taken during sure. the course of your life. Sure. I mean, I um, have been very lucky, um, you know, being able to travel to different places, more so as, you know, for leisure. But I also think that um, because of the show, I've become, you know, it's hard for me to relax, um, you know, because I'm always looking for activities. I really want to sort of see, oh, what does this place have to offer? What are their most well-known, you know, for what activities is skydiving or, you know, going scuba diving or, you know, the food. And so I typically in the past have been more, you know, out laid back and just go with the flow, lay out at the beach, that kind of thing. But I think due to that experience on the show and being in that kind of setting where, you know, it's a wonderful experience where here, you know, I'm, I had this chance to really take everything in and, you know, really take everything to my advantage, the land, meeting new people, um, the food. And so I really, you know, I, using that experience moving forward, um, the trips I've taken, I've done a lot more homework before going to certain places and really trying to see why I want to go to a certain place um, due to you know, their culture or maybe a festival that's happening during that time. Mm. You, you're, the, you're absolutely the, t- the uh, type of traveler we like to, to speak to, you know, the traveler who looks for those cultural immersion experiences, that the authentic, authenticity, um, and, uh, you know, really just enjoys and embraces uh, the destination. Becky, I want to... Uh, 
shift gears a little bit and, and, and talk about Becky's Fund. What inspired you to use your winnings to help transform other lives and raise awareness about the issue of domestic violence? Sure. Um, so I've been working on the issue of domestic violence um, since I was in college. Um, I met a, um, an attorney um, from the University of Michigan. She was working in the clinical law program there, and she gave a speech in one of my classes talking about defending batter women who were in prison for killing their abusers in self-defense. And the statistics were staggering to see that one in three women in the United States, even internationally, you know, are being um, you know, manipulated, and loss of power and control, being hurt not just physically but mentally and verbally, and that no one was talking about it. And being often in a situation where, you know, if you're not experienced, you have more freedom to openly talk about it due to less stigma or judgment from family or friends. And so after speaking with her and learning about this issue, I really wanted to focus my career and my life um, to working on um, domestic violence. And so after um, meeting with her, working with her, I went to law school specifically to work on domestic violence. And um, it was just, you know, pretty random when um, I was approached to try out for the show of Survivor. But I thought, number one, like I mentioned before, I really wanted to elevate the um, appearance and sort of understanding of Asian Americans on television. But second, seeing how um, Survivor is probably one of the oldest reality shows in television history and the fact that it's still doing so well is due to the audience and that, you know, people really love to watch this uh, game, this show, you know, pitting people against each other, but, um, you know, for this million dollars and what they're willing to do for it. Um, but at the same time, I also knew that after the show, I had many opportunities to talk with media um, to discuss, you know, what I've been doing since the show. And I thought it would be an awesome platform to elevate, um, you know, understanding the education of domestic violence through, through the show. When we return, we'll have more with Survivor Cook Islands contestant Becky Lee as World Footprints Radio continues. Hi, this is Paul Harris from uh, Southampton, England. We're once again here in New Orleans. I think it's my 35th or 40th, 40th time, <laughs> and it's always a pleasure to come back. We always bring our, our musicians with us, and it's a great pleasure to uh, meet uh, our friends from World Footprints, and uh, wish you all the success with your show, and uh, looking forward to seeing you again sometime. Joel Klein catches a 7 o'clock train after his evening CPR class at the American Red Cross. Ron Garrity's on the same train. He's had a rough day and doesn't feel like himself. Until he feels the sudden tightness in his chest, Ron never thought he'd actually have a heart attack. Until Joel is administering CPR, he never thought he'd actually save a life. When you train with the Red Cross, you change a life. Starting with your own. Call 1-800-RED-CROSS or visit redcross.org to learn about life-changing opportunities in your area. What would happen if you didn't follow the established path? Would you feel scared or proud? Could you explain that helping the people of Peru improve their own community would also have an effect on your own? Would you rather make your own way or spend a lifetime saying, what if? Life is calling. How far will you go? Peace Corps. Find out more. Call 1-800-424-8580. I go to peacecorps.gov. making sure the air in your dream home is healthy for your family to breathe. Building a radon-resistant home is easy. Just ask your builder or go to epa.gov radon. 
A message from the US EPA. Hi, I'm Patricia Elsey from Mother's Restaurant, and I'm sitting here with the famous World Footprints radio people, Tanya and Ian, <laughs> and they love our cooking. She got a shrimp creole, he got a breakfast special with scrambled eggs with cheese, and Ian got the scrambled breakfast with sausage and hot sauce, and they really enjoying the food. I love them, and I hope they come back again. This is World Footprints Radio, celebrating responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Here are your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back. Let's continue our conversation with Becky Lee, contestant on Survivor Cook Islands. As you've traveled around the country speaking about domestic violence, what are some of the the key things that you're trying to deliver home to the people that you're able to speak with? Um, I think that, you know... Whenever you go somewhere new, whenever you go to a foreign country, a place that you've never been, I think that we often forget that we are coming from different backgrounds. And in, in, in that sense, it's helped me really be able to, you know, when I travel to these different places, in the same way of working with victims from all over the country, in all different, even, you know, different countries even, to realize that, um, you know, to understand that we can never sort of place our values and our ethics on other people. I think a big question that people typically ask, I mean, even in doing domestic violence work, why doesn't she leave? And there's an exercise that I do with my students um, when I speak at colleges all over the country for my domestic violence college tour. I actually have each of them stand up and I go through a list and just reading sort of statements. I have a driver's license. You know, I have enough money in my bank account to go stay in a hotel. Um, I speak English. You know, I could, you know, ask my friend to let me stay with her for two weeks while I look for a place. All these sort of questions of, you know, where we're coming from, privilege, but also your background, things that often we take for granted. Mm-hmm. I think um, in learning that and working with people from all different backgrounds, um, it's really been able to help me also when I travel to open my eyes to, you know, what different cultures, um, what they value, and also being able to place all my baggage sort of at the door, you know, but, and then be able to really experience um, these different places with what they're, you know, what they're known for and the value of that and get a truly much more um, rewarding travel experience through that. Mm-hmm. You know, an important point I, I think I want to I wanna bring uh, out, having um, served as a, as a prosecutor um, following my uh, law school graduation and having worked with Domestic Violence Center in Michigan is that domestic violence is not gender, age, race, uh, socioeconomic, geographic specific. And, and a lot of people don't, uh, don't realize that. It, and I know that you talk to, um, in your, in your uh, college tours, you actually talk to a lot of male students. Talk to us a little bit about about that and, and just um, you know the issue itself of domestic violence and some of the misperceptions of, of domestic violence. Sure. Um, I think, first of all, you bring up a great, great point about gender and about working with both men and women on this issue. Um, due to, I think, the way that we classify and sort of categorize domestic violence as a women's issue, I think it's really hurt um, advocacy to work with survivors and work with people trying to get them out of these situations because we often think that men have no role in this sort of campaign to end domestic violence, which I think is totally wrong. 
Um, obviously, you cannot, you know, work on domestic violence without talking to both men and women. Um, whether, you know, it's a perpetrator or the victim, you still have to really talk to both groups of people and saying, you know, how do we treat ourselves, you know, how do we expect to be treated in a relationship? What does respect really mean? What is power control? It was really interesting uh, when I first started the college tour in 2006, it was young males, young men who were coming up to me asking me, you know, I don't usually come to these conferences or to this lecture. I usually am not invited. Usually it's you know, thrown by the sorority or a women's rights group on campus. But I really wanted to know, I see it. I see both my male friends and my female friends in these unhealthy relationships. Mm-hmm. Yet I don't have the tools or don't even know the words to be able to say to each, you know, each party saying, you know, I can help. Like, let me know what I can do. And so in seeing that and hearing that, I realized um, the lack of education for bystander accountability. You know, I really sort of um, focused, telling students all over the country, you know, if you see it, you do nothing about it. Um, You're actually telling the victim it's okay to suffer in silence, and you're telling the perpetrator that it's okay to get away with it. Mm -hmm. In our country today, how many athletes and celebrities have we seen that get just a little tap on the wrist when, you know, something of this nature happens? Without accountability, you know, without um, the person going to jail, without that person, you know, getting in trouble with law enforcement, Enforcement, what's going to be, you know, what, why would they stop their behavior? Well, Becky, one of the, one of the interesting things that you helped to frame just, just now is that your outreach through Becky's Fund has actually been reaching young men who perhaps have not been communicated to when we think of domestic violence, as it's often been from the victim's perspective, typically a female. And, and to me, that's that's one of those amazing things. Talk to us about about that and some of the other successes you've had along the way doing this work. It's been amazing because I think that, like you mentioned, people do want to help. People just don't know how. And, um, you know, when I do events, small events, large events, um, for example, one event I'm doing tonight is a a book event. And being able to sort of um, access different audiences and addressing this issue from different levels. Like you mentioned, um, you know, you don't even realize a lot of times when you have a domestic, you know, violence 101, you put up a sign like that. Who's going to come to that versus if you have an event where you're able to, you know, bring in celebrities or bringing in sort of political members, community leaders from, you know, from the area to be able to say, I stand up for this cause. Mm-hmm. And so I've been very um, you know, selective and trying to be creative. How do we get more people talking about this issue? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things we're working on for later this fall is a domestic violence concert. We're trying to bring in people to be able to use Twitter and social media and address this issue, showing the victims that right now are you know, silenced because they're afraid to come forward, because they're afraid of being judged and blamed for the situation, that there is no, there's no shame in coming forward. In the same way, we also see with students um, t- telling us, yes, I grew up in a home like that. Being able to recognize the, the warning signs even. Often that we see with physical abuse, it's more towards the end of the cycle of the violence that if they had sort of gone back and seen, oh, you know, this person was monitoring my phone uh, behavior, my internet use, telling me who I could hang out with, who I couldn't talk to, what I could do and couldn't do. You realize the warning signs are there. I think those simple sort of modes of communication, keeping that line of communication open and keeping that education 
education, um, realizing that the importance of prevention, I think, is so important. With the situation with the UVA tragedy that happened yes. you know, several weeks ago, it, I had just been at that school two weeks earlier to that whole incident, and it shocked me to see um, that, you know, why are we always reacting to a tragedy to talk about domestic violence when there are so many opportunities, whether it's in the ER, whether it's in, you know, Boy Scouts and Girl Scout meetings, whether it's in talking to middle school, you know, different, even in the workplace situation, being able to even have a sign saying this is a violence-free environment, you know, if you have an issue or, you know, are worried about something, Mm -hmm. you you know, it is okay to talk about it. Even that first step of saying that it's okay to talk about it, I think is huge in itself. Absolutely. Now, Becky, you mentioned a few uh, events that you have coming up, one one tonight and and one in the fall. Are your events um, specific to the D.C. area, or do you have events all over the country, and, and, and how can people find out about these? Sure. Um, because our, you know, our national office obviously is located in D.C., um, the majority of our events are in D.C. However, um, I, you know, with my college tour, I've been able to travel all over the country and then work with the students, put on events in different cities. Um, the domestic violence content I mentioned before, we are looking to do in New York. But for information about upcoming events, you know, what we're working on, people can visit the website at www.beckysfund.org for more information. And, of course, you know, volunteers and donors are very central to the survival of nonprofit organizations. Um, briefly tell us what some of your organizational organizational needs are and, um, and, and what listeners can do to... Uh, you know, enroll or, or donate their time or money. I, I, and I, you bring up a great question and point in the sense of like, what can I do? Um, I think that again, um, when we think of nonprofits, you always think of donating, you know, uh, f- funding sort of resources. Um, but we don't just look for funding resources. I think that everyone has a skill. Uh, recently, I've been working with um, financial advisors to even create a brochure to help victims realize how to get their credit back on track and how to, you know, look for certain paperwork when they're leaving, a, um, fleeing a situation to make sure in their se- in a situation of of divorce, what paperwork to grab. Um, I've been working with different salons even to be able to talk to the people who are coming in. Often um, a hairdresser and the person she's working with often or he's working with, they have this really great relationship and open line of communication where they're able to offer sort of that comfort but also be able to recognize what the resources are. Mm-hmm. Um, working with schools, we've been working with um, different political members, getting this issue out in their community through their family like, you know, service centers. Um, even in, when you mentioned before being able to, you know, just talk about this issue. We have a blog and we have a newsletter that goes out every single month talking about how you can get involved in your own community, whether it's volunteering or donating items. Um, Recently, you know, what we've been doing is using um, Twitter and also Facebook when we're trying to raise money or trying to get donated items for victims leaving. And it's interesting. I've been getting packages from all over the country. Um, One woman, she needed a size 14, you know, dresses for starting to interview and suits. And this um, woman from California actually sent and mailed some items in to help that woman. So there are so many different ways, you know, that you can get hands-on um, getting involved from all over the country. And so we just mm-hmm. encourage everyone to just check out our website um, to find out more information. So you have a wish list on, on the website? Yes, yes. Great. And, and finally, in just our, our closing seconds, I know some of our listeners will be very eager to, uh, to know whether there's any trick to, uh, or, or uh, tips that you can offer for survivor casting uh, opportunities, because <laughs> I know you were cast in a very unusual way through MySpace. Sure. Um, I, th- I just encourage people, I mean, 
there are so many different personalities if people have watched the shows in any reality show. Um, and when you're sending in your video, I just encourage everyone to, you know, make yourself stand out, um, whether it's being funny or crazy or being just, you know, really out there, really being able to show your personality and show, you know, show the producers that what you're willing to do, um, you know, because I think that in a game like this where people will get desperate and will do crazy things, um, I think they often want to just see very, very fun, outgoing personalities. They specifically had reached out to me um, as a female, number one, because I'm an attorney, um, and secondly, um, do, and, uh, you know, on my site, you can actually see I have a pretty bad temper, and um, <laughs> you know, to sort of work with that temper, I've, you know, <clears throat> I've taught kickboxing, I box in college, and so, the, you know, I did some of those boxing moves in my video, and so I think they just want to see fun, you know, outgoing personalities um, to have them on the show. <laughs> well, I'm glad we're friends, my dear. So, <laughs> uh, Becky Lee, with uh, who is the executive director of Becky's Fund and uh, former contestant on Survivor Cook Islands. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for your time. It's our pleasure. After the break, on the eve of the World Cup, we'll introduce you to a program that is turning the homeless into global citizens through soccer as World Footprints Radio continues. Hi, my name is Asutuya Sara. I am from Samoa. And I really love the World Footprints Radio. And I love this family that talk to me like friends to me. Health officials are concerned about a new influenza virus of swine origin that's spreading from person to person. Officials are acting to combat this threat, but the outbreak could grow. Prepare now. Check with local leaders, schools, employers, and other community groups about their plans regarding an outbreak in your community. It's important for everyone to know what to do about swine flu. For details, visit www.cdc.gov slash swine flu or call 1-800-CDC-INFO. A message from HHS. With great privilege comes great responsibility. Carter Fleming, Community Center Volunteer. The giving spirit is as passionate in the boomers today as it was in our 20s, and we as a generation can still impact our country. Lead, inspire, change the world again. Join thousands and find which volunteer opportunity is best for you. Call 1-800-424-8867 today or visit www.getinvolved.gov. This message is brought to you by the Corporation for National and Community Service and the station. What if you didn't care about being on the fast track? Instead of flying to the big interview, what if you flew somewhere else altogether, like a village in Botswana or a tiny island in the Pacific where needs are easy to see? What if you decided to share your skills with others and help someone else get ahead? Peace Corps. Life is calling. How far will you go? To find out more, call 800-424-8580 or visit peacecorps.gov. Well, he moved early. That's going to draw the yellow flag. Offsides, number 72, five yards. Check out this fan leaving the game. He's headed straight up the middle and right into a sobriety checkpoint. Let's see how he handles it. No, officer. I haven't been drinking. I'm the designated driver. Upon further review, this fan made the right call by being a designated driver. Sign up to be the designated driver at the stadium and always buckle up. You could follow your favorite NFL team to the Super Bowl. Provided as a public service by the station and Team Coalition. Hi, this is James K. from Los Angeles, California, and I just want to say I've traveled all over the world, 
But whenever I come back home, I always tune in to World Footprints Radio. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. On the eve of the 2010 World Cup in South Africa, we are sharing stories of how the game of soccer is promoting global citizenship and transforming lives. Lawrence Kahn is a person who is leaving positive footprints through his passion of soccer and advocacy and work for America's homeless. As the founder and CEO of Street Soccer USA, Lawrence is making soccer a force for social change here at home and around the world. Lawrence, welcome. Thank you guys for having me. Pleased to be here. Thank you. You played NCAA Division I soccer at Davidson College and pro soccer briefly in Chile and became a social entrepreneur in 2002, founding Artworks 945 in Charlotte, North Carolina, to help empower homeless people in the Queen City. Talk to us about how you made these seemingly divergent paths converge in Street Soccer USA, which got its start in 2004 with the founding of the Artworks Football Club. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I messed around a little bit in Chile, but really my, my, my serious soccer kind of ended... Um, uh, when I finished at, at Davidson, um, mm-hmm. and I really I transitioned all that energy, um, you know, into other aspects of my life, and got uh, very far away from soccer, um, and actually was working working abroad, uh, but had an emotion while I was working abroad in Japan that I wanted to do something in my own country. Uh, came back to the U.S. and got involved um, at a homeless service center where a, a friend of mine, um, who I really admired, had had become. Uh, the volunteer coordinator and is now the uh, director of that shelter. Um, so I got involved, and then once I got involved, I realized uh, you can kind of do more damage than good if you kind of intervene in people's lives and then walk away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we started all these community projects really about building relationships of trust through shared experience, and uh, we we kind of uh, rehabbed the, and created a, a, a rehab the kind of the grounds around the, the homeless center and, um, and, and you just built relationships and people started asking you know, questions that uh, I wasn't really prepared to answer. So I started liaisoning and working with social workers and solving problems. And we developed a pretty good uh, program model very quickly. Um, and, uh, and so I stayed. And then about a, a year and a half into that, when we started seeing more and more teens on the street, um, you know, athletics seemed like a really great outlet, and mm-hmm. uh, sure enough, the whole team dynamic and the, the goal setting and curriculum we developed had major impact from the get go. Uh, we connected to the Homeless World Cup, and um, which helped us with some media attention. And then I had a good soccer network, and we found this really great way to bring people together uh, from different backgrounds through sport, uh, create community, and then tie that you know directly to some kind of uh, practical um, programmatic outcomes, um, and it spreads. So we're in 20 cities across the U.S. Mm-hmm. and making a real, real impact. When you first uh, approached the idea of doing soccer with uh, with uh, some of the the people you worked with in in Charlotte, what did they say to you? Because North Carolina is basketball country. Yeah, you know, I mean, um, listen, when people are in crisis, a lot of, they don't feel like they have time for. Um, you know, extracurriculars. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people were out on time to play sports, and some people, um, you know, didn't really get, you know, while we were doing soccer. Uh, but it was really, it was more about, um, uh, you know, bringing people together and focusing on, on positive goals. 
and uh, it ended up being, you know, as we kind of as we kind of stayed there and, 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 and persisted, um, you know, people kind of came to us for for the community and for the the, the time of day that we gave people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it, it was uh, there was a little barrier in the beginning, but um, in the end, people came back because I think athletics has a you, you, you run and you, you feel you feel kind of a rush and endorphins and, and that's kind of addictive in its own right and it's really just about being around uh, a positive positive people that are focused on positive goals and um, that kind of community support you know just doesn't exist we deal with homelessness as an individual problem and we have this case management system um, but we really miss out the chance to bring people together uh, and use the power of team. Um, so it's been really cool is to watch people kind of get the game of soccer. I mean, in, mm-hmm. in the U.S., a lot of times we approach it so formally, and you have to be on a league, and you have to wear a uniform, and you know, really we just play soccer the way everyone else plays it around the world. You know, we, have, we have a ball, and, and it kind of eliminate all other barriers. Um, so people have really taken to it. And for our folks that were uh, from maybe an immigrant background and had, had had some trouble adjusting and uh, you know, soccer was something that made them comfortable. And then for, you know, folks who hadn't played a lot, uh, where basketball, you may have carried some baggage or expectations, soccer was really ideal. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's no premium on body type. You can be six foot five and you can be five foot four and it doesn't matter. So it's really kind of an inclusive sport by nature. And I just want to circle back to uh, Arts Work 945, uh, just a second. Is that program still in operation, and, and has the impact been um, similar to, to Street Soccer USA or a little bit different because the, the arts, as a, as a uh, pseudo-artist myself, I know the arts uh, tap into... A different side of the brain and 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 more uh, emotional um, you're an emotional being versus you know physical being how how has that worked and is the program still in operation yeah well I mean sports does that too and, and really the fa- the foundation of street soccer USA is just is identical to our works I mean it's one and the same um, you know and our works uh, still exists it actually um, it involves a, 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 it involves a sports it involves a community gardening program and it's a really neat um, you know, kind of entrepreneurial approach where we were able to basically cover in our operating costs through our art sales uh, and it's um, yeah I mean, it's it's still going on um, uh, under under new leadership now since I left and they're, I mean they're doing great stuff um, so that that's a really a really great model and um, you know it, it's about um, uh, ha- tapping into the, the human being, mm-hmm. um, and you know, we say a lot that um, you know our players and and, and, and the artists. Um, you know, if they if you don't have a sense of belonging and purpose in life, if you don't have uh, a sense of uh, self esteem, um, you know, there's no home worth keeping. But with those qualities intact, there's nothing to keep our folks from a home. And it's really true. I mean, um, if you don't have a reason and a goal to get up every day, you know, life is depressing. Right. And if you can connect to human beings on that level and give them the, give them a sense of a heroic sense of themselves, sense of pride, a sense of mission, um, you know, human beings are incredible. And, and that's what I've learned is that the human spirit is is, is just uh, I mean, it's remarkable. I mean, I, I work with folks who deal with my worst nightmares on a on a daily basis, and uh, 
you know, when uh, all these obstacles and barriers and the unsolvable problem of homelessness, it's amazing to watch that uh, kind of evaporate as, as human beings get switched on and, and get a sense of self-belief. But, um, you know, so they really stigmatize themselves uh, more than anybody. I mean, it's depressing and tough to be homeless, and there's a social stigma from outside the community, but, um, you know, people take it hard when they're on the streets themselves. So this stuff, you know, if you use it and you tie it, you know, to meaningful, real opportunities, if you tie these things like sports and art to that, uh, it's really transformational. And too often we kind of do art or do sport, and it's just epiphenomenal. You know, we do it, and people feel good, and volunteers feel good, and, mm-hmm. and we all leave like we've created community. But, you know, you, that's only half the battle. You've got you've to stick, stick with it for the long term, and you've got to meaningfully tie it to programs and outcomes, and that's what we've been able to do successfully. Lawrence, you, uh, you mentioned uh, a little bit earlier that you were, I guess, introduced in some ways to to this issue and, and uh, because of a friend. Um, but did you have an epiphany? I mean, was there a certain moment in your life where you thought, I, I'm called to be a social entrepreneur, and you know, what is it about helping the homeless that's made it such a compelling force in, in your life? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I, I don't know. I mean, I feel um, I, from, the, from the very first day that I stepped foot, um, you know, on the, uh, on the grounds of the, of the homeless center there in, in Charlotte, um, I felt very useful. I mean, it had not, um, I mean, I always felt like I wanted to do something, you know, meaningful in life. And uh, when I was younger, um, uh, you know, we had trouble in our, in our family and our, actually our house burned down at one point. Um, and I had this amazing experience of community and family. There was a big safety net that caught me. And, you know, those, the, we had some you know, traumatic things happen, but uh, the result of it was this really uh, uh, amazing appreciation for uh, community and family. And when I, when I set foot on the homeless center, you know, we, you know, I met people who had, had you know, similar misfortunes and, and tough times, but there just wasn't that community for them. And that was really the only difference. So that that made a big impact on me, and, 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 and obviously there's a lot of empathy and understanding on my part there. Uh, you know, I found that, um, you know, uh, this is a, an important issue, and uh, you know, we need we need good people, you know, um, doing this work, and it, it pays dividends for society. It, it, it's rewarding directly for the people you work with, and you know, homelessness is a it's a soluble problem. Um, you know, if we if we can address it the right way. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about the trajectory of Street Soccer USA as it's grown from one team to a 20-city league now and how it's really making a difference in the lives of homeless men, women, and children around the country. Yeah, you know, it's so funny because people ask uh, about that all the time, you know, how, do you, how did you grow, you know, how did you get all the media attention you've gotten, and, you know, we've really just focused on our on our core mission and, and, and not, we've never had a a PR director or anything like that. You know, we've just done a really uh, good job and, and stuck by following through on our obligations um, to the people that, you know, work with us. Um, so, you know, our, our best um, evangelists have been our, our volunteers, uh, and we've spread a lot just by, by word of mouth and by, you know, having the experience to point to. So when I, we've gone and, and, and since we really understand, you know, uh, where people are coming from, um, when they're in a homeless situation and, and also the challenges that um, uh, a service provider has to deal with. Mm-hmm. 
you know, since we understand that really well, when we go and talk to you know a, a center in Los Angeles, you know, they understand that, that, that this makes sense. You know, and first people are like, "Why are you teaching homeless people to kick a soccer ball?" You know, we have more pressing issues, but when they understand, um, you know, how our program works, they understand that it makes really good sense. And I think we've been able to spread just because of that, because it's a low cost, you know, very sensible approach uh, to the issue and, and pulls in uh, people that otherwise wouldn't feel connected and connects people in a new way uh, to the issue. It's not, it's not a depressing thing. I mean, you work with people that are trying to strive and achieve and, uh, you know, what we say ending homelessness is a team sport. Uh, and we all have to be on the same team, which mm-hmm. has really resonated. Um, so it's, we've done it. We've done it just through a lot, a lot of hard work. And I really have to thank uh, my brother, who's gotten involved, um, and uh, all, all, Will Mizuto in New York. A lot of people who just put in, you know, uh, above and beyond the, the call of duty in, in terms of what what we pay and what we ask of volunteers. It's pretty pretty amazing in, in the nonprofit world the efficiency. It exists because of what people will do when called by mission. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, we couldn't do it without just sort of a lot of dedicated, dedicated people. When we return, we'll have more with the founder of Street Soccer USA, Lawrence Can, as World Footprints Radio continues. Hi, I'm Johannes from Pretoria, Gauteng in South Africa. I love listening to you, and I want you to support Ian Antonia at World Foot. Radio. It is exciting. I'm a doctor. I'm a teacher. I live in the South. California is my home. I speak fluent Spanish. No hablo espanol. I have brown eyes. My eyes are blue. We're very different people, but we do have something in common. I made a donation to the Red Cross. When disaster struck and I needed help, her gift to the American Red Cross changed my life. When you support the American Red Cross, you change a life, starting with your own. Call 1-800-RED-CROSS or visit redcross.org and find out about life-changing opportunities in your area. This is President Barack Obama. In the story of America, the greatest chapters are moments of challenge, when we see people serving their country and one another. Volunteers who step forward into hospital corridors and church basements, along levees and fire lines. And the next chapter is yours to help write. Sign up to volunteer at usaservice.org. That's usaservice.org. Let's renew America together. A message from Renew America Together, brought to you by the Ad Council. Green, green, green. It's your home, it's your dream. is making sure the air in your home is healthy for your family to breathe. Testing for radon is easy. Just call 866-730-GREEN. Make it green, green, green. A message from the US EPA. Hi, my name is Catherine from France, and I love listening to World Footprints Radio. This is World Footprints Radio, celebrating responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Here are your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back. Here's more of our conversation with Street Soccer USA's Lawrence Can. How can a city form an official Street Soccer USA team and, and, and talk about some of the um, membership uh, or team uh, criteria, um, age, gender, what have you, and, 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 and also um, 
speak to you know any a deadline is there a deadline for a a new city to form a team to participate in the homeless the annual homeless world cup yeah so i mean you know it's it's a rolling thing there's no de- there's no deadline per se i mean we are, we do our programs are during 65 days a year we tried to do them by seasons but what we found out when we ended our first season um people just showed up for practice anyway so, <laughs> so okay i guess we'll keep on practicing um you know but um so what what you do is is, is as a, what we look to do uh is really create like a triangle between ourselves you know, passionate people in the community and homeless service providers. So, you know, we, we, we really um, do not want to duplicate services, and we want to come in and enhance and improve the services that exist and add a lot of value. So we, we're really, um, we want to work with people, uh, with shelters, recovery houses, uh, teen homeless shelters. Mm-hmm. Um, those are our partners. Um, so we can make those connections if you're someone in the community or if you're an agency, you know, contact us. We have a program model, a really basic, you know, memo of understanding. It's all, it's all really easy um, and then, uh, to, to do, and then we will work to kind of train your staff um, uh, and train volunteers and share our program model and help to integrate it into the existing services. So we have a very simple, very simple basic model, which is, you know, build trust through sports, set three, six, and 12-month goals, and then hold people accountable to their goals. And then based on the specific, you know, groups we're working with, whether they're all teens or whether they're all in recovery or whatever the issue is, then we, then we drill down to really specific best practices, mm-hmm. um, you know, but, but our, our general model is very simple, very replicable, um, and it's the same across the board. And then what we're really trying to do through research and, and, and evaluations is really get really good at what we do with the specific challenges uh, uh, that our folks face, which mm-hmm. tend to be you know, uh, trauma from child abuse is so pervasive and really not not appreciated what, what the symptom of poverty, you know, the trauma and the, the sexual and physical abuse that goes on. And, and, and there's a lot of uh, post-traumatic stress, and we try to do a lot therapeutically through the team and community to address that, mm-hmm. uh, and that's huge. Um, you know, but we're also really passionate about working with uh, ages 15 and up because it's mm-hmm. such an underserved group, and that's really, it's really a critical age because... You know, people either are, you know, uh, uh, if you hold down a job before the age of 24, the chances are you're going to hold that one down for the rest of your life. If you don't, you're going to be in and out of homelessness the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. If you don't pursue education by the age, age of 24, you're probably not. You know, so all the research says. So it's really a critical age. People become parents at a young age or they don't. So it's, it's really important. Um, and we, we have been try people try to pull us to work with younger groups, but that's really our focus now, I'm sure down the line, we'll share and, and work with groups that do children, but we work with 15 and up. So we had a, last year on our, our team that went to the Homeless World Cup, we had a, an 18-year-old and a 47-year-old. Uh, and, and speaking of the Homeless World Cup, talk to us about how, how that event, which has been played every year since uh, 2003, as I understand, uh, and it's played in some great places. In 2006, it was in Cape Town, one of the cities that will be a venue for this year's World Cup. And the film Kicking It, which chronicled the 2006 uh, Homeless World Cup in, in Cape Town, featured you and the team uh, as, it, as it made its journey to South Africa. Talk to us about 
about the things that you've seen in, in terms of some of the travel experiences, the global citizenship experiences for these homeless people as they've traveled around the world through this World Cup and how it's changed their lives? Yeah, well, you know, I've always, I mean, since the beginning, uh, I've probably underestimated just the sheer value of, of, of the trip itself um, and what travel can do. And, and so it's, it always kind of amazes me uh, how profound uh, the traveling experience is. Um, you know, the, um, the, uh, as you mentioned, we, we take a team uh, abroad every year. And you know, if you think about it, um, it really connects, you know, our folks, uh, even the ones who don't travel, you know, to be part of a, a global uh, movement. Um, it connects them it's through solidarity to, you know, uh, people in their situation around the world. And if you think of someone who's homeless in a homeless situation, you're, you're about as isolated as you can be. To connect them to the soccer community, which is probably like the biggest community in the world, um, it was a really powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, symbolically, really important. Uh, and, and I've learned that we, we hear that from our players that so they feel they feel more connected, um, you know. And then uh, the folks that travel and go uh, abroad on our national team are chosen for their achievements off the field, for their ability on the field, and their ability to be an ambassador. Those are the criteria. So they really come back, share their experiences, and they become you know advocates, ambassadors, and and leaders. And a lot of them have actually ended up um, you know as they've gotten off the streets and come back and become coaches. Uh, for us now, now Lawrence, t- talk just a little bit about the selection process. You know, you have twenty teams uh, in the U.S. How is uh, what is the selection process for participating in the Homeless World Cup, and how are the host cities selected for the Homeless World Cup each year? Yeah, so um, so I'll try to maybe answer like two of the questions. I mean, one is um, so you know we run our local programs, uh, and then they each send a team to our National Cup, which is in Washington, D.C., July 30th uh, through August 1st. And so, um, you know, all those teams um, get the chance to have this kind of travel experience themselves uh, coming and, and, and bonding as, as they kind of set this goal of representing their city in our Cup. And over that weekend at the Cup, um, we um, meet with all the coaches and take nominations, and we observe people on the field uh, and, and, and take into account what they've done off the field, uh, and we choose the team for the players at that cup. So we take eight men and eight women. Uh, we, we take our first ever women's team abroad to the Homeless World Cup. Um, this year, it's, uh, they're going to be called the Lady Salamanders, sponsored by Sheila Johnson's, um, uh, who's the owner of the Washington Mystics, and that, her business is Salamander Enterprises. So a really awesome story. Oh, behind, Sh- behind Sheila that. Johnson. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So... So, yeah, so that'll be our first ever women's team, which is really great because the impact uh, that this type of outlet has on, on women is really transformational. Um, so that's how we do it. You know, we bring people set their goal to come to the Cup, they travel together, uh, they play, and then from players at the tournament, we select our national team. Now, um, we uh, feel like Washington is a really important place for us, symbolically important, and we want to keep the Cup in Washington. Uh, we love the community there and feel like it's, it's the proper place to be. Um, but we do we do entertain bids from other cities, and have had some other folks interested in hosting the cup. As far as the World Cup, that moves every year, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know there's a bid process. Um, so you know, and it really it's a way to showcase a city's um, 
uh, you know, as being a, a city as a global city like you would uh, the, the Olympics or anything like that. I mean, it's 56 nations, so it's the largest, uh, one of the largest, uh, most inclusive events there is on the planet in terms of other countries. Uh, and uh, this year it will be in uh, Rio and I think next year in Paris, is that correct? That's, that's absolutely correct. Okay. Uh, yeah, so setting the stage, you know, for the, the World Cup that's coming up in Brazil a couple of years later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Lawrence, in our closing minutes uh, with you, talk to us about some of the ways that uh, people can support USA street soccer, and also talk to us about this initiative called the Football Box, which is actually benefiting the Homeless World Cup. Uh, these are, uh, you know, some of the tools that are being used to help uh, connect homeless people with other people in their community and help kind of create leaders and ambassadors for soccer. Well, right. So, um, you know, really, if you if if um, uh, the football box and the homeless World Cup initiative, you know, uh, that's a, a really fantastic way, and encourage everyone to support uh, primarily folks um, on the African continent uh, and abroad that are using sport for social change um, in their grassroots organizations, which then. Uh, connect uh, to the Homeless World Cup um, the same way we do. Um, you know, as far as um, uh, supporting us uh, domestically, if you, if you want, if you want to support domestically, um, you know that's us. We we um, we develop all the programming, we raise the money, and 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 to go and, and take our folks to participate in the Homeless uh, World Cup every year because we feel like it's important to be a part of that global uh, network. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so for as, as uh, for fifty dollars, you can sponsor a player um, here locally um, to uh, receive the mentorship to go through the Street Soccer USA curriculum um, and have access to sport for social change for a season. So that's fifty dollars, uh, six months, pays for one of our players uh, to have all of this community support. So we're we're really a, a low cost operation. We, we we do we have a great program model. Um, very small number of staff um, and do some great training and so it's it's uh, we really encourage everyone to, to sponsor a player you can make the donations online at www.streetsoccerusa.org um, and yes yeah, since this is a travel show one of our um, one of our biggest uh, obstacles every year you know is the um, is the travel for our teams to get to the US Cup which uh, you know really is a, a transformational journey for them and we're actually Really excited. We have a research project with the Sport and Society Institute. Some fellows there that are looking just at the impact of this trip um, and what it means for our participants. Um, so, you know, if you'd like to make a donation towards uh, travel, um, uh, usually costs about uh, when we average it out, <coughs> even including the West Coast teams, it's about a thousand dollars a team for them to take their take their folks uh, to participate in the Cup. Um, mm-hmm. So likewise, you know, you can follow uh, follow us uh, online. Follow the cup. We're actually going to live stream the games at mm-hmm. streetsoccerusa.org, um, and uh, and so please uh, please do that and check us out. Uh, it's, it's easy to follow us. We're on Facebook, updating our stories all the time. And I, I really, you know, the, the folks we work with are really my heroes. And I, I, I uh, there's a, there's a lot of uh, I think bad like public image about who the homeless are and and um, what they're capable of, but you know, when you work with people, come and, and join our programs um, because they want to change their lives, and, and you see people really trying, and so we try to 
meet them as best we can and, and provide them opportunities. And you know, there's uh, there's a lot of ways to help. So just get in touch with us, and you know, whether it's mentors, whether it's financial donors, uh, whether it's if you're a business and, and want some really reliable employees that have come through our program, we'll be really grateful. Um, you know, we, we'd love to connect to you. Well, Lawrence, we thank you so much for being with us today on World Footprints Radio. Lawrence Can, the CEO of Street Soccer USA. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to connecting with you during the week on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and our many other social networks, and through our newsletter, which you can sign up for at worldfootprints.com. It's been a pleasure to share some travel time with you. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we'll see you on the air again next week, same time, same frequency. And until then, leave positive footprints one step at a time. Hi, guys. My name is Sandy Best, the Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada. Banff National Park. Natural beauty. The only place you should go with is World Footprints Radio because they spend their time looking at those special places that are not tourist traps, that are not thousands of people. For the best on the planet, go with World Footprints Radio. This has been a presentation of Travel and On Media Productions, LLC. All rights reserved.